I was in a good spot physically. I just, I was just kind of going, I wasn't injured. I was, I figured out my equilibrium. It's amazing that the body finds an equilibrium on this, but it did. Mm-hmm. It, that's what it became is like, ah, to run a marathon today. Okay. Um, and so I felt that I was, I would be leaving something unfinished if I didn't try to go for a hundred in the back of my head. I was like, yeah, it's probably gonna stop at 95, which the <laughs> This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpre.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is an ultra runner. Recently, she set the American record for running 95 marathons in 95 days. Um, She is a running coach. So welcome to the show, Melissa Clark. Glad to be on. Thanks for having me. I should also say you're a teacher, which is an important note. As we were going talking about before um, we got going, my family's full of teachers. So I think it's important to acknowledge uh, teachers for the job that they do in trying to educate the children of our, our culture and make them into adults. Adults that know things. Uh, we try our best. Yeah. You always think there's no pressure. Well, uh I always think of teaching as kind of failing a little bit every day because if you don't set the bar extremely high, um, I don't think you're doing enough. So every day I feel like I'm failing a little bit, but I think that that's a good thing. Um, And I also always think back to my high school teachers and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember the ones that crushed my dreams about being good at this subject. And I remember the ones that made me feel like I was really good at it. Um, so I want to be one of the teachers that makes sure I build my students up. Um, so that's kind of my teaching philosophy 101, I guess. I was, I was like, yeah, I guess there is like two different ways to go at it there where it's like I, you can come from your perspective. It's like, let's build them up and fill them with knowledge and make, make them know that they can know this. Or you go, I'm going to crush you under my heel. And if you decide that you still want to do this, then you are worthy. Fair, fair. I just remember I had a couple of teachers. I wanted to be a vet for a long time when I when I was younger and I had a biology class and it crushed my soul. And I was like, I'm terrible at biology. I can never do this. And I had an English teacher who I loved more than anything. And now I'm an English teacher. So I think uh, I think our our teachers really do influence us a lot more um, than maybe we think we do they do yeah. which is nerve-wracking at times <laughs> you've got a lot of impact yeah though yeah. I, I understand that and i think some some people come to certain subjects with a greater or worse disposition or ability to grasp that subject but sometimes i wonder if it's not the teaching style too that plays a factor in that comprehension just because like i think back to so Math came more naturally to me than it did many other students. Um, and I somehow wound up being a math major in college, even though after high school, I was like, I'm done. It, kind of a long story. But um, it basically was like a, oh, maybe just one more. And I think you you have a little bit of attitude with that, with the marathons. Maybe just one more. Um, That's a whole story. So we'll get there in a minute, because I want to know about that. Uh, but 
I, so I, I, I understood what the teacher was doing. The other kids would be like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about right now. But then, like, I would explain it to them, and then they would go, oh, okay. It's just, like, the way she was communicating it, they didn't understand. And if I could reword it, then they would get, like, this, and this isn't to be braggadocious on my part, but it is accurate. I was voted new teacher um, of the class two years in a row. It was the same teacher for different for different classes, uh, geometry and then algebra two, just because I had some ability to translate what she was saying and make it more relatable to the kids that are having a hard time. So, and that I feel is like just luck of the draw, right? Like you don't you don't go in high school. You're not like yeah. I, I want Mrs. Clark. Like I, <laughs> she has a really great English class. Like I don't know that you get to choose that most of the time, right? No, no, not normally. But I do think there's some people, and I you must be one of them then, that have, so I feel like, I, w- I was joking that boiling teaching down is essentially, um, say that again, but better this time. <laughs> so it's just like explaining yourself five different ways so that you can make sure that each student connects to that in some way. Um, mm-hmm. So it sounds like with your case, the way that you were introducing the information, it wasn't that it was new, but you just had a way that landed with people um, right. that your other teacher didn't. Uh, so that's really that's really fascinating and actually makes total sense that you're from a family of teachers because I'm sure <laughs> your dad probably had, he knew how to explain things to you in a multitude of ways and you probably picked up on that. So that's kind of, that's maybe, pretty cool. Maybe, I, you know, I don't know. But yeah, he, he taught, uh, he was a, world history and geography teacher. And then he dabbled in teaching freshman algebra. Um, he did that for almost 30 years. And uh, so I'm sure some of that, but then he, I have an older father, so I'm 32 and I don't think how old he is this year, 78. Um, so he had basically was retiring when I was in elementary school. So I didn't get a lot of the teaching years like my older, older siblings did. Um, so maybe some of that rubbed off. I think some of it too is like, um, I was involved in martial arts from a young age and I was the assistant teacher from a relatively young, probably middle school onwards. So like I was directly involved in trying to teach concepts to younger kids, you know, on a weekly basis too. So some of it may have been inherited. Some of it may have been just experienced. I don't know. Everything gets fuzzy when you look back, you know, farther and farther and you try to put the pieces together and you're like, uh, I don't I don't know anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that so I, I want to get to, to the marathons. The question that I wanted to ask is just so I listened to this podcast. I think you were only like 66 marathons in at the time. Was for, it for uh, Sci- Science of Ultra? Yeah. Yeah. And, That's my and, coach, Sean. OK. OK. Yeah. So then. Um, well, in the way he, that's interesting <laughs> to know, because the way he was talking to you, I was just like, I feel like you're pretty, you're imposing your thoughts on her, her pretty strongly. Like, I don't know that I would be that presumptuous with a, with a guest <laughs> on my podcast. Um, but so that makes a little more sense. But at that time you were like, it was like 75 was the number, but clearly that's not what happened. where it stopped. <laughs> so, so uh, how, how did you get to that just one more was it just one more or were you like no not 75 85 85 90, 900 like what what happened between there and the, the finish 
That's a really good question. Also, it's hilarious. Um, my friend is actually here right now. She heard that podcast and was screaming liar at the podcast because it came out far after I continued. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Um, I think so after I hit it was going to be 65, I think. And after I hit 65, um, I thought 75. And, you know, I there's a lot of factors that went into it. I had someone throw out 100 when I was around 50. And I was like, why don't you go run 100 marathons? Like, that yeah. sounds like fun for you. Because I was, it's just, it was really hard. Um, yeah. But I think I was trying to figure out where I would be satisfied. And... I felt when I got to 75 that I just wasn't satisfied with um, ending there. And I, I was in a good spot physically. I just, I was just kind of going, I wasn't injured. I was, I figured out my equilibrium. It's amazing that the body finds an equilibrium on this, but it did. Mm -hmm. it, that's what it became. It was like, ah, to run a marathon today. Okay. Um, and so I felt that I was I would be leaving something unfinished if I didn't try to go for a hundred. In the back of my head, I was like, yeah, it's probably gonna stop at ninety-five, which <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, but you know, it was that, and also there were a lot of factors. So um, I we just moved from Italy. Um, we were moving to a new place. I didn't know anyone. I had to give up my job, which is just part of the military, and the marathons were a friend. I mean, they were the thing that was mine and they were the thing that I kept with me through an international move, through losing friends, losing my job. Um, the thing that, you know, became my purpose during COVID. Mm -hmm. And I think that I was really scared to let that go as well. And in many ways, it was much easier to continue to run the marathons than it was to stop. Um, and so that's funny to say because most rational people would be like, what? Keeping running marathons is easier? And it was. It was the thing that gave me purpose every day. It gave me focus. Um, it was something that in a small way, I felt like I was bringing some positivity into the world when the world was kind of crashing around all of us. And mm -hmm. so I think I was actually really afraid to stop um, because I, I didn't know what the other side looked like. Um, so I think that was a lot of factors that came into it as well. Well, I mean, it seems like you, you mentioned people kind of balking at the idea and going, like, how is that easier? It's like, well, at that point, you're like, I'm already 75 marathons in. Like, the physicality of it, like, it, you learn to deal with the physicality of it. But then, you know, as you mentioned, it being that kind of, like, lifeline or dependence or that that the rock in your life, uh, aside from your husband, I imagine, um, it, there is something to, it's like, I, I think the balking is more about people just being like, how do you run a marathon and not understanding that it's like, maybe to them it's like, well, you're going to go out and walk five miles or something every day. Like that's, that's your commitment. Like this is my commitment. And then, to have done it so many days in a row and and then to give that up to the unknown like that there is a, a trepidation or anxiety or anxiousness there because it's 
we like what's familiar. And when everything else in your world is in flux and in chaos, as what happens when you're a military spouse, running's the only thing that that the that can't be taken away from me. No matter where I go, I can always run. I always have that. It's always my um, my rock. And it, of course, my husband is absolutely, but he's not always. You know, he's working. He's mm-hmm. gone. He's not always there. And and running's a thing I've taken with me and kept in my pocket whether we've lived in Hawaii, Italy, Florida, and now here. And it's it's also something that's really respected. It's respected in the military to have physical prowess. And so I think I carry that as well um, because there is, it's not an even um, male-female split of power. But, I mean, the male almost always is the one in the military and the female is the one that's kind of following him around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I gain a lot of respect as a spouse because of my physical abilities. And so I think that's something I hold very dearly. And I also recognize that there is a certain unfairness to that, um, that I'm respected more because of that. But I also think that I use that as something, um, as, a, as a mark of pride of like, this is what I'm capable of. This is something that's recognized as being worthy. Um, and so that is another factor of it. I think, you know, I was keeping the marathons going because it was something that um, was respected. So, yeah. Well, but I mean, it's like, like, that's a tribe mentality, right? It's like, these are the things we value as a tribe. And we think, talking about the military, I'm not in the military, so I I can only speak from an outsider's perspective. So I'm sure I'm going to butcher things. But it's like, you respect, you know, physical prowess, prowess, like, technical ability and certain maybe it's maybe it's uh, being a rifleman or you know whatever technical job that you have like there are niches within the military for different jobs and obviously ranks like there's things that are recognized as valuable as individuals and then that's your tribe so it's like i can understand you coming at it from that standpoint because then it's like all these people like it's meeting them at their level with the things that they value instead of being like, well, no, you know, let me tell you about why teachers are valuable or, or trying to convince them of something else. It's like, no, let's like, let's wedge in exactly right where you are. And then from here, maybe you have the possibility to say, Oh, also these other things are, are valuable too. I just hadn't thought about them before. Oh, exactly. And and the military, which I mean, I think is a good thing. They, respect mental fortitude mm-hmm. and um it did take a fair amount of mental fortitude to, to run that many in a row there were certainly days where um it was really really hard and the the interesting thing about it was that it wasn't one of those things where oh if you have a bad day or you mess up you know tomorrow's a new day it was if i don't finish this then it's done Mm-hmm. So there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a DNF. There wasn't a moment where you could say today, I don't feel like doing that. Or today isn't my day because if today isn't your day, then tomorrow doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, so that was a really interesting aspect of it as well. You, What's funny. You had started that sentence. It, it did take, and then 
my brain like auto finished it and wait, was waiting for you to say it did take you know 65 days for anybody in the military to recognize it while <laughs> I was doing like <laughs> no no I so um in Italy we couldn't run outside so we, well, we could only run on the military base um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's it's like weird kind of American laws in there. Right. Um, and then we could run, I could run on a treadmill, which luckily we had one. Um, and so I would be running around base and running around base. And oh my gosh, so many people would cheer me on, would come up to me, like run some with me. Like, there was so much support. And it started getting attention in the military quite early. Okay. Um, and I actually, I this was kind of, cool is that the um commanding officer of the navy like the guy who sits with the president um sent a message out like congratulating me about um the marathon so the navy was definitely full support behind it um for sure yeah they they, and also it's good pr i mean they always want to see because the, the spouses sacrifice a lot of um work stability and advancement in careers and so they kind of like when there's a a feel-good story about look at she can still do it (laughs) (laughs) yeah no and it's just you know like me um you know like my brain all completing that sentence it was just like that's and not even my own biases it's just like trying to find the hook or the story of there it's like like it's that uh, maybe that's my own like pr brain being like Alyssa over came in and she was found determined to like be recognized and but it's like okay well that wasn't the actual story that's just your brain making up the story instead of like listening but because it happened I wanted to share it with you just it's just insight insights into my own brain that I find amusing going why did that happen let's let's share it with you <laughs> well it's funny because I mean the whole thing I Honestly, I started out thinking I would run 14. I just wanted to run one until we could go run outside um, mm. legally, like not yeah. on a military base where I oh. ran two mile loops or on a treadmill. And then I just kept escalating and escalating and escalating. And I never, ever did it expecting anything to come out of it. I posted on my Instagram every day just because I, again, I was hoping that maybe I could inspire someone who is really struggling to just put one step in front of the other, Mm -hmm. Uh, whatever that means, you know, metaphorically or, you know, getting out and running to relieve some stress or anxiety during COVID. Um, And it started picking up attention, I would say around 50 or 60, like right in the 50s, 60s was when it kind of blew up. And it was so overwhelming um, because well, first of all, my brain was exhausted. It, I mean, imagine having runner's brain for like months. Right. Um, but it was so overwhelming because I never, I never set out for it to be a PR thing or to get anything out of it. It was merely just this thing that grew into to something much more than I ever expected or anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, in many ways, it was just something to keep doing every day. And then it became something that started to mean mean something to other people, um, which that was kind of the the part that I loved the most about it. But in terms of the PR stuff, um, I was pretty shocked about how much it did escalate. Um, 
and there were moments where I wished it would all go away because there's a lot more pressure um, when you do have a lot of people watching you and a lot of, you know, people always have mean things to say. And um, that's- Some people certainly do. Yeah. And so I I stopped reading comment sections on like runner's world or men's health. I was like, yeah, I just don't, I don't need that in my life. Yep. Um, and that, yeah, that was, that was really hard because it felt like I was getting attacked for something where I was like, I don't even want this attention. I just like running. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, I think, I don't think there's an athlete out there who's done anything noteworthy that doesn't get slammed by someone or something for some reason so it just comes territory um but yeah you know it was just this it's crazy because I'm getting all these Facebook memories of it because it was a year ago you know it was all happening and I gosh it's just it's crazy that it's been a year um and it's it's it was such an interesting time in my life because it in one way, you're so monofocused on the singular moment um, because you can't look ahead because it's extremely overwhelming if you think about how many you have left. So you just have to think about what's right in front of you. Um, but also, I just think like it, it was life changing in so many ways. Um, and it's just funny to think of something where like an accidental start to a journey where you just go to your husband and you're like, I'm really bored. What do you think if I run a marathon every day for like a week? And then it blows up into that. Um, yeah. It's just, it's nuts. Yeah. The This is the burning question I have to ask you. And, and that is, um, is it possible to count how many people called you Forrest Gump along your journey? <laughs> um, Probably not. But <laughs> probably even just from my friend, she uh, called me a lot. She's like, okay, you cannot run past three years. I will kill you. Like, you need to stop. But yeah, I do I do get that a lot. She's always be like, I just felt like running. That's kind of the truth, though, is I really just like, I feel like running. This is great. I love, I mean, running's the best part of my day almost every day. I, I love it every day um and i think when you find something like that you hold on to it yeah well there's so i think anybody that runs has been yelled somebody's yelled forest at them at some point in time if not multiple times but i just thinking about yours in particular because it was you know such this long journey and then how many miles total were yeah it was uh almost 2500 okay yeah so i think it you could have could have gone coast to coast yeah and i know i think it's about it's like like 25 27 or something i've looked at it before yeah i think it was the same and part of me i've been asked if i would ever do it again Mm -hmm. and my response is like absolutely not because i would much rather put that amount of mileage into running across the country or yeah doing something else where i was having a lot of different experiences along the way and seeing a lot of things. I mean, I am, I'm grateful that I, I chose to start it. Um, but it's not something, first of all, I'm not a road runner. I don't like, um, flat road running, which is what mostly I did because the hills killed me. Right. Um, I don't even really like marathons that much. 
Um, I love ultra marathons, so yeah. it, it really doesn't fit. It doesn't fit like any box in um, what I enjoy or what I'm I'm good at as an athlete. I'm like the longer mountainous, ridiculously hard ultra I can find. I want to do it. Um, so it the marathons were fun and they were something that was like a very unique thing as I think all of us during the COVID time were like, what can we do so we don't lose our minds? Um, so that was the thing that I found, but yeah, I would never, I hope someone goes and breaks it. That would be awesome. It's like records are meant to be broken. Yeah. Well, I just, I hadn't thought about it until just now. Like I, at one point I had, uh, won a bet with one of the guys I ran with in college. And so He'll never well, and I'd have to decide to want to do it too. But he'll he'll never uh, own up to doing this. But he owes me a uh, run across America, and I hadn't thought about this in quite some time until I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, that's. I was like, I think if you did ninety five days, because I know um, I had you know I planned it out. And I was like, well, if you did twenty mile days or something like that, it'd take like almost four months or something like that. Uh, taking one day off a week, I think running six days a week, taking Sundays off or something. And then I was also thinking about, I can't remember whether he completed or not, but there was a guy trying to break the the um, Trans-American record and do it in like 60 days or something. Yeah. Um, and that was, I want to say 2009-ish. I think he was like making a documentary of it. So it's probably out there somewhere. But that There's... seemed bonkers to me because it was going to be like an ultra every day for 60, you know. The dude who said it, I think, is, like, over 50 miles a day. Yeah. And he said it back in, the, I think, like, the 80s or the 90s, and it's been untouchable for a really mm-hmm. long time. Um, it was just nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. You know, it's funny because, and I, I'm the one saying, like, that's a lot. That's um, a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It's, I mean, I, like, 26 miles is a lot but then adding in the travel component adding in terrain variation and right. all those factors that's a lot heat differences yeah heat differences you gotta have or do you have a support, support vehicle yeah. do you have Push. like doing the stroller method like <laughs> have you watched ricky gates trans americana i think it's what it's mm. called oh if you're interested in the whole trans american thing that is an awesome awesome uh documentary it's out on youtube i think okay i'll have to yeah. i'll have to look at that later yeah he's super cool um and he also goes into and that's kind of why i would want to run across america because um i spent a few years outside of the u.s and i haven't lived in the continental u.s i had not for five years um and then i came back and it was we like I ran a marathon and then we were in Charleston and then the um, BLM protests were happening that night and it was chaos. And Mm -hmm. I completely, it was a reverse culture shock to come back to the U S and then going to Florida, which I'm from uh, the new England originally. So there was so much of the U S that I feel like I don't understand. Um, and that I want to know and I want to realize and hopefully talk to people along the way um, and see and just understand my country better. Because I I feel more connected now, but for a long time, it just felt I felt like an alien in a place that I grew up 
in, um, which is odd. And so I think running across America is something I personally would want to do for similar to what Ricky Gates did, which was these people, like I think of people as different than I am, um, but they're not. You know, we all are fundamentally the same and want the same things. Your screen went odd. Um, okay. So we lost me. Um, it's storming outside. The power went off in my house. Alyssa's humoring me <laughs> by staying with me. And she's like, where the hell did he go? Um, like I said to her before we got re-recording here, uh, 107 episodes in, I've never had the power to shut off in my house for no reason in the middle of, middle of a podcast before. So a first today, um, but we'll get back to, you were talking about Ricky Gates and your your appreciation for him or what he was doing, I think, if, if I recall yeah. where we were when, when we lost me. Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, I like being first on things, so this, this is very fitting. Um, yeah, I was just saying that I think that there is so much to see in America, and I think there's so much um, that we have to explore. Um, and so, it, like, that. I guess my feeling is that we have such polarizing viewpoints in this country right now, um, but fundamentally, we all want the same thing. And I think that sometimes it takes putting yourself in a more vulnerable position to um, actually get to see that. And I think running, I, I mean, I always say that I think running can save the world and I kind of stand by that. It's a bit silly, but I think that at the core, it's just putting yourself in vulnerable positions and hoping that you can inspire people and that you can also um, help help people. Well, that they you allow yourself to be helped in many ways. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, you know, there's a, and sorry for the creaking, I have an old house, so I'm trying to walk as the UPS guy delivering things and sounds, and it's, it's an interesting time here in my house right now. Um, I always like, I don't know, you probably feel this way, I hope, um, they're like, like many people that really run or run a lot, it's, I'll say almost like a religious experience. Like there's there's a connection to it that's so much deeper than just like, hey, I'm gonna go run some miles today for fitness. Like it's it, it's there's something about identity and and personality and and like uh, some kind of spiritual connection. And I think that's maybe and I'm, I'm assuming obviously, but so feel free to correct me. But that's where the idea is like running can save the world. It's like if if everybody could feel that connection or that that's that's something like that then we'd be able to relate to each other a little bit differently than we knew now yeah nope that's that's spot on um and, and you know i i feel this way about running um but i also i have so many people all the time be like oh i wish i could be a runner i want to be a runner but i just <laughs> You know, i it just doesn't it doesn't click with me and first of all my first response is give it more than two weeks because it sucks for everyone. Um, yeah. I, if I have to take time off, the first two weeks are rough coming back in. It, it yes. doesn't feel good. It's like, ah, oh, this is why everyone hates running because it's really hard. Um, but give yourself at least two weeks to start working through it. Um, and then I think other things like, you don't have to be a runner. Like running is not 
the penultimate sport. It's why there's a bajillion. I mean, my friend tried every sport. She was trying to do every sport and then realized there's 8,000 different sports. Mm -hmm. So just find the thing that lights your soul on fire. And that's what you should do. And whether it's, to me, it's running. Um, It wasn't running when I was younger, but it is now. It sounds like it's been that way for you since you were 12. Um, For my husband, it's doing scary things in the mountains. That makes him excited when there's snow and ice and things that could kill you. He really likes that. (laughs) (laughs) well for me like when i was younger there was something that i liked about doing the thing that everybody else hated to do i said do you hate it i'm gonna love it and i'm gonna do it really well i don't know why i mentioned this in my my most recent like runner side video which is a show i do on youtube youtube.com slash soul free um but that was kind of where it came from for me and, and it grew because i've I found those other aspects where it's like challenge yourself to be faster. So there's a physical aspect and then like dealing with being mentally uncomfortable and, and, you know, setting new goals and seeing how far you can go. Like there's all the aspects to it that have fed me over the years where it's not just like, you know, I want to lose five pounds or I want to gain muscle or it's, it's not a fitness journey like that for me. It's um, so ingrained to what I do now. Oh, yeah. I can relate everything to running. I always joke about that. Like, I can make this a metaphor about running. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, recently I'm training for um, the Tour de Jean, which is a big race in Italy, um, which is 90-plus thousand feet of climbing and 230-ish miles. So it's days of hard. I mean, you're either going up or going down. And you're doing it for days on end. And it's it's really hard. It's really hard. I DNF'd in 2019 from it um, at about 150 miles. And my coach and I have been working on how everything with running, especially I think when you're getting into longer distance stuff, um, is that you're going to have highs and lows and you can't control when they happen. Mm-hmm. But you also can't get so attached to them that you live or breathe off of whether or not you're high or low. You have to kind of have this outside experience watching yourself go through that and know that what, like, you you can't get attached to it. You have to let it go, whether it's that high, knowing that that will leave and not just going, I'm going to rule the world. I'm so happy right now. And then mm-hmm. that low coming in and going, I am so low, I'm going to drop out um, and nothing's ever going to be good again. So it's just taking that step back and it applies to real life where he, he always says to me, like, notice how you react in um, the real world. If someone cuts you off in traffic or something doesn't go the way that you think, look at it from that perspective of like, this too shall pass in so many ways Um, and use that mental fortitude that you're building here through running um, and apply that to your life. And, And I've noticed in many ways that there's a certain sometimes when something is so big and you realize all of the things that are going to come there's you can either get frantic about it or you can get more calm about it and just know it will be and it will be whatever that is um and if you get too attached to one up or one down or one outcome then you can't enjoy the process of it 
So yeah. I had kind of similar thoughts come from uh, an entrepreneur friend slash couple of mine. It's a husband and wife team that run this company. Cause I have a bad tendency to like be a little reactionary, to, like just things going wrong. And I tried to be more mindful about, you know, dealing with things as they come like a, a power outage in the middle of an interview. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Where you're like, what, what's going to happen? And, and, and it's like, well, you know, I, I wasn't concerned when the power went out. I wasn't concerned so much that it was like, oh, the episodes ruined, at least from my standpoint, as like the only thing I was concerned about was that one, you're like, where the heck to go? And you, you just left wondering. And then two, that like you had wasted your time. I felt bad about that. I was like, this is going to like, you don't irritate me. But, but it, regardless of how I felt, like it, it didn't matter. You just go, what can I do? Can I do anything? And yeah. then you either do that or you don't because you can't do anything. And and the the whole emotional roller coaster of like I feel great or I feel bad about this situation neither really affects what you can or can't do. You just do it. And when you I find if I get too like negatively attached to something, say like like over this last year, I had several product launches in um, with my other other business, and they didn't go so well. And so it was like a whole year. It felt like down the drain. But if you get too attached to that, then you're stuck in this like negative place where you can't move forward. And that's what I imagine from the you know the various ultra runners I've had on the the show talk about the highs and lows of any individual ultra, where it's like you know there's going to be that roller coaster you know it's it's going to come and you just keep plodding forward like that's that's your only choice you can't if you feel like crap aside from if you're low on fuel or you need to drink some water or something there's not a whole lot you can do about it you just you're going to feel bad for a while and then you keep moving forward yeah absolutely one step in front of the other as my dad always tells me before every race Alyssa, my Best advice is left, right, repeat a lot. I'm like, cool. Thanks, Dad. Got <laughs> Thanks. it. Got it. That's going to get me there. And, and I do wonder, and this is on the more practical and less like mental, metaphysical side, but um, so for the marathons, for when you're going out to um, Tordesillon, the any kind of ultra, do you have foods you stick to in particular that you're like, this is the thing? I, I think about this from time to time because I know everybody does something a little bit different. I was talking to um, last week's show, I was talking to Ian Fraser and in a different conversation I had heard him have, he was a pro triathlete in the early to late nineties. And this was before like gels were around. So he was talking about, they used to take like chocolate pudding and baby food and like put yeah. it into packets and like just and eat that. And that was their fuel. And you know, because there's a whole industry now that's does sports nutrition. And like, I mean, I'm working on, you know, taking this company into that industry too. So like, I'm keenly aware of it, uh, but also know that it's very individualized and no one thing works for everybody. So I'm curious if I can shut up what, you know, what your go-to things are, are there go-to things or are you just like, you know, whatever I can get down? 
Yeah, I, you know, I think that that is actually kind of the epitome of ultras is what you just said is, oh, these are my go-to things. But really, at the end of the day, it's what can I get down? Because yeah. those things often shift where you're like, nailed it. This is going to be it. I'm going to bring 10 thousands of these. And then you get a quarter of the way through the race. And you're like, I never want to see that again. And if you put it in my face, I will slap you. So it's just, it's weird. Um some of my, so I have kind of a weird digestive system. I have ulcerative colitis. Um, and so I'm gluten-free. And then my husband and I are vegetarian for um, environmental reasons. And so that kind of narrows the field a little bit. Um, but some of my go-tos, I do use a lot of honey stinger. Um, mm. I've worked with them for a while. Um, and then I just started using, um, it's called glucose. Um with a K it's associated with Nathan. Um, and that I've actually started really liking it. It's like a very liquidy, like super liquidy gel. It's more on the electrolyte side of things than yeah. um, tons of calories. It's only like 70 calories, but it's really easy to get down. Um, but my, I would say my go-tos, it depends a bit on the race. So I just did a 50 K, which to me is like, I have to run hard the entire time. It's um, that I tend to rely more on gels, like honey stinger gels and gummies. Um, but when I'm doing, you know, tour, it's like, you know, you're going through meals. Um, yeah. like you're, you're missing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I, I really like, um, trail mix, peanut butter filled, like gluten-free pretzels are some of my favorites. Cause the salt really comes into a factor. Yeah. Um, what are some, gosh, I'm trying to think of some of the things like, um mashed potatoes like roasted or baked potatoes with salt on it mm. is super good um regular gluten-free pretzels potato chips potato chips are awesome lots of salt yeah. um but i would say probably my weird go-to if all else fails um is coke like straight up coca-cola because mm -hmm. it's sugar it's carbs the um carbonation helps your stomach a bit it's something that I always know I can drink um, and get some calories in when everything else is going to hell um, so I've run my first 100 miler I ran the last 20 miles essentially on like a few gummies and bottle like I had a bottle of coca-cola with me for most of it um so, but that doesn't work for everyone. I have right. recommended it to other people. And I had one girl be like, I thought I was going to puke as soon as I put it in my mouth. So it's, you know, with my coaching clients too, I, they'll be like, ah, oh, this didn't work or that didn't work. And I'm like, we just got to keep trying, you know, it may not work today, but it might work tomorrow. Um, and so that's something that is so specific and it's specific to you, but could be different tomorrow. Um, so I think just practicing with a lot of different things, mm -hmm. um, is always good and making sure that, I mean, I always think of ultra running and I think it's why ultra runners are better when they get older. It's just the ability to adapt and improvise. Um, yeah. like the funny motto my friends and I have is adapt, improvise and overcome. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember what movie it's from, but that's exactly it where it's like, okay, this isn't working. So what can we do? to fix the situation yeah um and i think that that unfortunately 
and fortunately is nutrition in ultras <laughs> yeah well it's like that's maybe why your friend in trouble but like what i've noticed is that so i used to do half ironmans which is you know for me it was like four fifteen four and a half hours so like one of your marathons basically um so not i'm not out there like all day like you're but you need some. You can't do the whole thing without food. Right, right. You yeah. have to have fuel. Fuel. Um, yeah. But I would notice that, like, depending on the day, like, you've got a plan of, like, this is what I'm taking in, such and such time. But then sometimes you're like, oh, I, it just, it doesn't taste good, right? I, I want something else, or I don't need this. And, like, I feel like sugar was always a, an up and down Sugar's thing. Sometimes it's like, one. right, because it's like, I was like, you, when you're going longer, you need the carbs. But then sometimes it's like, oh, it's too sweet. Like this, this thing's too sweet, but then this other yeah. thing tastes fine. And there's no, there's almost no planning. So it's like, I feel like I'd go into it with a, a rough plan of this is my intention of this is how many calories I need to take in an hour. But also like, I'm going to have a literal gut check and say, how do I feel? Do I feel like taking in this many calories or am I going to vomit if I take in this many calories? Cause I'm, you know, working too hard or whatever. Um, but so I was just, I'm always curious a little bit about that. Uh, you know, it's honestly, it was probably one of the questions. Nutrition was one of the questions I got a ton. Um, I also get shoe questions all the time. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I wish that I could like wave a magic wand and give you the perfect answer. But the, <laughs> the truth is, is that everyone is individual and you yes. just have yeah. to figure out what works for you. I can give you, I like this. I think this is great. I think you might like it, but I've been wrong many times yeah. with people where yeah. I'm like, this is my go-to shoe. And they're like, great. I tried it and it, I hate it. I'm like, okay, yeah. then why don't you try this one? I hate it. So you might love it. So, you know, it's right. just, it's so individual. Yeah. Well, I, I fit shoes for people for three years full time and you can kind of guide people, but it really is, you got to put the shoe on their foot. And that's, I, I, in some ways I have like, disdain is a little strong of a word, but something like disdain for like running shoe review blogs, just cause like doesn't make, one doesn't individual matter. is not, is not going to be good for all of those shoes. Like it's not, it's not pertinent. Like the shoes are made for different people and different people are going to feel them differently. So even if like I go, man, this shoe's terrible it's probably not the right shoe for me. That doesn't mean it's a bad shoe. So I, I, I get a little up in arms about that because it's, it's one of the few things that's like it's running equipment. We don't have much equipment. We don't need much yeah. besides shoes. So um, yeah. also before we I run out of battery, um, I, I want to ask you, I'm asking everybody a question this year, ask a singular question for an entire season. So this is this season's question. And I want to ask you, um, how do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal? Oh, um, that's a fantastic question because I like to call 2019 my year of failure. Um, I DNF'd, I decided to take on two really hard races, um, the Dragon's Back multi-day race in Wales and then um, Tour de Jean in the same year. And I DNF'd both. And I felt, I was just like embarrassed about the entire year. And mm -hmm. um, it could have been a breakthrough year and it wasn't. But my motivation is that I always, so I like to think of it as like, I feel as though I have not 
reached my potential. I have not um, completely tapped into what I know I'm capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of that, and I think that's what's so exciting about ultras is that often that doesn't come until you are, you have gained a lot of maturity um, and made a lot of mistakes. And so I like to, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have done the marathons if I hadn't failed those two huge events. And I'm really grateful for those moments because they've made me what I am right now. And I think that there's a huge sting to it um, when it happens, but I think you have to turn it into what lessons can I take from this and what can I recognize earlier on so that I can prevent at least this type of failure from happening again? You know, you can't prevent, I had another DNF, um, I was taking on a, uh, a long trail, it was like 350 miles in Alabama and Georgia. And I thought I'd, I had everything perfectly set. I was like, I'm going to do this. I feel so good. I've learned so much. And I, it was 85 degrees. It was abnormally hot. Mm -hmm. I was doing it self-supported. There was a like 16 mile chunk without water early on, like a 12 mile and a 16 mile. And I dehydrated myself so much that I actually ended up getting rhabdo and I was peeing blood Mm -hmm. for 24 hours. And like, you just can't, you can't do that. You can't keep going if you pee blood for 24 hours. And I was right really sad because I was like, I felt so prepared to be so smart. Like I've, I've gained so much, um, but it didn't work. And, you know, sometimes you just have to be like the weather gods were working against me that day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you're just meant not to succeed in that. And I think, you know, what you learn in endurance sports is that if you have one perfect and I don't even like to say perfect if you have one spectacular race or moment in a year you're doing really well like if you are greedy and you want five of them it's probably not going to happen so you have to be really grateful for having maybe just that one um so that's that was a long-winded answer but (laughs) That's my favorite kind of answer, so that's perfectly fine. Um, Alyssa, if people want to see what you're doing, see if you start another journey, find you, get in touch with you, any of that kind of stuff, where, where can they do that? Yeah, so I am probably most active on Instagram, um, which is theory, like T-H-E-O-R-Y underscore in underscore motion. Um, that's where I respond to all messages, and you can kind of see what I'm doing. Um, and then my website is alyssaclarkruns.com, um, or you can find me on Facebook. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Thanks for having me.